This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Well, after the common cold, ear infections are the most frequently diagnosed childhood illness in the United States. Most kids will have at least one ear infection by the time they're three years old, but adults can suffer from these as well. Joining us with more on this common ailment is Dr. Heidi Marzouk. She's Assistant Professor of Otolaryngology and Head and Neck Surgery at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Marzouk. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So while it's common, help us understand exactly what is an ear infection. Sure. An ear infection, in the acute sense, typically um, is where between your eardrum and where your ear kind of drains into your nose, there develops a collection of fluid, but not only is the fluid there, it becomes infected with likely a bacterial infection. Um, There are uh, otitis media where it's not an acute infection, where the fluid's just sitting there, but it has yet to be infected. So when we think about an ear infection in the acute sense, it's when that fluid has been invaded by a bacterial source. Is it always bacterial or may it also be a viral source? It can be viral, but often uh, when we think about it, especially in the pediatric sense, uh, when they become painful and such, more commonly than not, they are bacterial. So who is most likely to get these and, and why is it that? Sure. So typically when you think of an ear infection, you think of a toddler. Um, in that uh, anywhere from one to three-year-old period. Uh, Children at that age have eustachian tubes, which is the tube that connects the ear to the nose to equalize pressure and drain fluid. Uh, It tends to be in a more horizontal direction uh, during that age period. And so the drainage pathway is not as smooth. As children grow, that tube has a more vertical orientation, and so they're better able to equalize pressure, and so those infections become less common. So those children are the most at risk. And and that's that's very, very interesting. I've never heard it described quite that way. So the, the eustachian tube being maybe smaller and more horizontal really kind of leads them to have more fluid backup or buildup, and then Correct. infection can kind of wreak havoc in that area. Very interesting. So how do you know you have one? I mean, how, how, what are the kinds of symptoms? You alluded to pain before. Tell mm-hmm. us more about that. Sure. So uh, feeling a sense of clogging or pressure in the ear is very common. Once the bacteria has kind of started to have its way in the ear, it tends to become painful, uh, tender, Some kids do have some sound sensitivity. Of course, just like any infection, you can start to have fever. Um, Once the infection starts to become uh, more advanced, some kids can have a little bit of imbalance if the infection is uh, in one side versus a symmetric infection. So may you see a kid tugging on their ear kind of thing? Is that a common thing? and And that's a sign they're uncomfortable. More irritable, perhaps. And and do you see drainage very often? Drainage is a possibility. It's considered a complication of the ear infection when the pressure has built up so uh, incredibly that the eardrum makes a small hole to release the fluid. Okay, I want to talk Mm -hmm. more about the complications in a minute. Mm -hmm. But so those are the kinds of things you see in kids, maybe the loss of appetite, just a general kind of crankiness pulling on the ear. How about in adults? I mean, is it different in adults? I mean, obviously, an adult can tell you that they're they're hurting and and they can be more conscious kind of of what the symptomatology is. But are the symptoms very different? No, they're not actually. Uh, They're more rare to happen. And so when an adult has hearing loss or ear pain, we also 
you know, examine the ear and kind of keep in mind some other etiologies just because it's less common in adults. Um, but the symptoms are fairly similar with pain, hearing loss, other upper respiratory symptoms, usually concomitantly, uh, and fever. Like a cold, like, I guess my question is if you have a cold, yeah. uh, not necessarily a cold, an allergy, let's say yes. you're a very allergic person, mm -hmm. either as a toddler or as an adult. Sure. Would you have more tendency then to build up the fluid in that middle ear compartment, correct. but not necessarily go on to an infection? Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, but the infection obviously is when it needs to some often needs some attention. Sure. Um, so basically, you mentioned the role of the eustachian tubes. People always talk about the adenoids. Is there some issue with the adenoids as well? So the adenoids sit kind of sandwiched between the two eustachian tubes in the back of the nose. So oftentimes if the adenoids are large or the adenoids themselves har are harboring an infection, it can influence the middle ear space, but not always. So basically what I'm gathering is that risk factors for an ear infection quite often have to do with the age of the person, as you mentioned before, mm -hmm. with the anatomy of a toddler. Mm -hmm. But are there other issues, for example, in a young child is the way they're being fed. Mm -hmm. I read somewhere that nursing babies are less apt, for example, to get an ear infection than a bottle-fed baby. Now, why would that be? So, uh, in general, when uh, children are breastfed, we tend to favor that method of feeding for, for the immune system. Because when uh, a baby is nursed with breast milk, the baby is uh, receiving antibodies from the mother. Um, also, there is some discussion about shapes of the nipples and things like that in terms of palate development. Um, but uh, typically, you are getting some immune boost if you're receiving breast so milk. So that's largely, the, that would be the explanation for the difference. And typically, children are usually nursed when they're in the first year of life. Again, after that, they're typically receiving milk, and they're still going to be prone to ear infections. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with otolaryngologist Dr. Heidi Marzouk. We're talking about otitis media, or ear infections, actually. So basically... Um, it seems to me that most ear infections don't necessarily cause a long-term complication, but there are some that do. Mm -hmm. Help us understand if they're, if they're frequent or persistent. What are the potential complications? So firstly, you know, let's keep in mind that most kids do get ear infections. It is common. It's almost expected that a kid will get one. The problem is if it's recurrent severe ear infections, there can be potential complications. Obviously, the ear is close to the brain. That's a very serious complication. Of Me meaning what? What would happen? So if an ear infection becomes extremely severe uh, and left untreated, it does have potential implications to spread towards the brain. So but this is in a most extreme sense. Yes, yeah, so I know something like mastoiditis mm -hmm. is a part as the bone behind the ear sure. can become infected. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the brain, mm -hmm. you can get a meningitis Correct. If, if it's untreated. Correct. And these in, are, again, in the most Rare. severe terms of cases. We do hear of children who get very high fevers with ear infections and febrile seizures are um, potential. Perforation we discussed. If you have one perforation, chances are it'll heal, but there are perforations that don't. And several perforations, again, cause 
repeat a trauma to the eardrum. So let's talk about that just for a second. Sure. So basically, you've got the middle ear, which mm -hmm. is behind the eardrum, mm -hmm. and before it goes into the inner ear, mm -hmm. which is basically goes up to the brain. Mm -hmm. So in that little compartment, yeah. I know there's three little bones, Correct. and they help to transmit the sound, mm -hmm. but when the pressure builds up in there, sometimes spontaneously there'll be a little kind of, as you said, a perforation. Mm -hmm. Is there any consequence to that other than the fact that it allows the, the uh, fluid to drain? So most of the time, the vast majority of the time, after the ear infection is treated, the perforation does heal and there's minimal sequela. However, um, there minimal are complications minimal following complications that. following that. However, there are cases if the perforation doesn't heal, the ear can drain. Uh, implications on hearing loss really with, you know, severe infections that are more long-standing and untreated. Sometimes you can get some scarring on in the middle ear bones and things of that nature. Which would the, impede hearing. Correct. The thing that we didn't talk about is you have this 18-month-old uh, to 3-year-old who's exploring the world around them, trying to walk, talk, and speak, right? And then every six weeks or so, they're having trouble hearing. And so one thing that I really keep in mind in the office when I'm making certain decisions is how is the speech doing? So there's a direct correlation, and I think that needs to be underscored, mm -hmm. and you just did, mm -hmm. between if someone is having frequent, a child is having frequent ear infections during that very critical language development period, and their hearing is intermittently affected, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they may actually be somewhat delayed then in their speech and language development? Well, the idea is there's a buildup of fluid. We assume based on that that there's going to be some hearing loss. Now the question is, in between the infections, is the fluid clearing or not? Um, and is that going to affect hearing or not? Again, if there are a small amount and it's intermittent, that's par for the course of toddlerhood. But once we get to an excessive amount, and we'll talk about what is excessive, um, uh, it can start to have implications on speech development, especially if the fluid itself, even though it's disinfected, is not clearing in between infections. So the question I think you must hear a million times a day is, mm -hmm. does every ear infection need an antibiotic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's the answer? <laughs> so the answer is no. Not every time you pick up fluid in the ear or there's some mild infection doesn't need an antibiotic. And the nice thing is the American Academy of Pediatrics has come up with some guidelines for your local pediatrician as to when it might be a good idea to definitely give versus wait and see prescriptions versus kind of just wait and ride the, the wave. So obviously the things that present as more severe, high fever, severe pain, very bulging eardrum on exam, you kind of probably want to give antibiotics right off the bat for those. However, the, and especially in that six to two year old, six month to two year old mark, above that we can even wait, you know, sometimes wait a little longer for those moderate infections. What's the rationale for waiting or what's the rationale for not treating? So the idea is antibiotics also are not a super benign thing either right? Uh, they have implications on the belly. I, sometimes I get mothers who complain about the diaper rash from the antibiotics more than they do from the ear infections, right? So, um, you know, after they, the kids have the diarrhea. So they're not a benign thing. And the whole idea is we want to be judicious in our use of them in terms of community antibiotic resistance, in terms of affecting the rest of the body with those antibiotic treatments. So um, we want to be judicious. Obviously, we want to take care of the kid's discomfort. We want to manage it, but we want don't want to overdo it. And that's the fine balance that we're finding as a 
a community of physicians over time. Uh, I think that's become much things. more, there's been a much greater consciousness sure. about not just knee-jerk reaction treating with antibiotics Correct. in children, but also in adults for the very reason you stated that mm -hmm. we found that there's much more resistance to the antibiotic a regimen that we have because the bugs keep changing and if we keep using those antibiotics mm -hmm. indiscriminately or too too liberally mm -hmm. that then they, they cease to be as effective sure. so we have to watch and the effect so, of antibiotics on the rest of your body too very little time we have left mm -hmm. basically how many ear infections is too many and what do you do if your child has a lot just tell us really briefly about a meringotomy sure so uh the question you know when kids come in is why are we getting a meringotomy so typically we say which is what a meringotomy. Uh, so it's a small nick in the eardrum where we suck out any fluid and then we put in uh, a small few millimeter tube straddling the eardrum to keep it open and basically we say you know, if there's six infections in a year, more than four infections in a six-month period, or fluid that's not clearing for more than three months, that makes us worry about speech development and such. Those are the, the general guidelines that made me lean towards considering a meringotomy and tube treatment. And basically it stays in for how long? Uh, it varies depending on what kind of tube you put in, but most of them are temporary, lasting six to 18 months. And they fall out in the he eardrum heels and you go on from there. Most of the time, yes. Such important information. Thanks so much for coming in. My guest has been Dr. Heidi Marzouk. She's Assistant Professor of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.